to our worship service this morning. Uh, interesting times. I got my buddy with me here. Um, so we are so glad that you're here this morning. Um, we really love the way that we've been able to use technology to connect during this trying time. And like, like the song just, just said, we're, we're living by faith. And um, I, I know a lot of you probably got the message from the elders this, uh, this weekend. And really, we've been, we've been seeing the faith in this body. And church, thank you. Um, that's what it means to be a body. That's what it means to be the family of God. So thank you for living that. Um, I couldn't think of a better song to open with than Living by Faith, because every day, that's what we're doing. Um, these trying times, these difficult times, we don't know what tomorrow will bring but we do know that God's in control. So um, let's remember that as we worship this morning and just uh, so glad to be here with you. See you all and God bless. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank we thank you for the blessing it is to get together to fellowship with one another, even though it's not in the same building, but it's still together. We thank you that we can see one another's faces each week. Thank you for the um, our shepherd leading us through this time. Thank you for ministers working through this. Sick at this time, are going through hard times. Watch over them um, and help us, Lord, to reach out to our neighbors and those who can't come in contact, but to reach out to them over the phone or through email or some other way to connect with them. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us together today. We thank you for. 
will be in focus for this Okay, the scripture uh, reading this morning is from Matthew 7. It's 7 through 12. Uh, so I'll stall uh, for a second for those of you who uh, want to get there in your Bibles. It's again Matthew 7, uh, verses 7 through 12. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. May God bless the hearing of his word. I can't see the waters raging at my feet. I can't feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can walk down the storm in painful road. I can face every fear of the unknown i can hear all god's children singing now we will not be overtaken we will not be overcome the same Okay. 
from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is a, a verse that's often used to um, berate Christians, and rightly so, but uh, I want to I think about a part of the verse that is often overlooked. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings 
do more harm than good, which is an awful thing to have said about you. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So then, my brothers, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Like I said, this verse is often used to berate people and for good reason. We are told that it teaches us to set aside time to meditate on Christ, but there's another thing to focus on in this verse, and that's each other. The issue in Corinth was one of selfishness. They were too inwardly focused. They used their gatherings to indulge while others had nothing. The issue in Corinth was one of selfishness. Now we have nothing but homes to eat and drink in. It's the gatherings that are missing. So what would Paul say to us? Rather than homes getting in the way of church here, we have the church entering our homes. We may not be gathering into each other's homes like churches did in the past, but we still have found a way to fellowship. We are fortunate to have this, even as we know some do not. So let us examine ourselves. We must look out for each other. We must ensure each other are fed. We must bring Christ to a world that cannot come to him. This is the fellowship and the work of the church. And with that, let us pray for the bread. Thank you for the gift of the bread, which to us is the body of Christ. May it serve to remind us to give of ourselves as Christ gave of himself. May we use our bodies in service to those who have no home to eat in and to those who have nothing. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let us pray again for the cup. Thank you for the gift of this cup, which to us is the blood of Christ. May it serve to remind us of the spirit of God, which even now is, is present in every home, drawing us together in a fellowship that cannot be interrupted. May we build each other up as the body of Christ, whose blood carries the life of God. We pray this in your name. Amen. It's good to be back here with you on this Sunday morning uh, in, in sitting in what has become uh, my pulpit, my office, 
my place for meetings. Um, and by night, it's my bedroom. So here's the world that we're in today, right? Um, I don't know how many of you have been able to stay at home. I'm grateful for those of you who have jobs that are important that you're able and willing to go out and help those who have, have needs and able to do that. But one of the most bizarre experiences uh, for me right now is, and this is more so than usual, uh, but going to Walmart is, is really, uh, it's a weird time to go shopping in that big of a crowd. And uh, something you may or may not know about me, uh, like when I was in high school, I would figure out what, uh, I sh what my style was by kind of looking at what everyone else was wearing and then trying to like add it together and divide by the number of people and come up with the most average way to fit in to everyone. Um, I was trying to math my way to kind of inclusion and acceptance. It made a lot of sense and um, still kind of does. And so that's my natural instincts in situations like that. Um, so when I go to Walmart right now and I see half the people that are like wearing masks and being very cautious and are very concerned about the disease, uh, I'm like, oh, I, mask wearing is the thing that I should be doing. And then I look at the other half of the people who are just very kind of proudly not wearing face masks. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's the thing I should be doing. Um, and so right now I go to Walmart and I just feel really confused. And then I turn on the news and I feel very confused. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is when you're in Walmart, you can tell what people believe about the disease. You can very quickly to say that person is very concerned about getting the coronavirus, getting COVID-19. And that person over there is not concerned at all. It's really easy to tell who it is that's worried and who it is that isn't. And you know, one of the things that's interesting is I think that Christians should have that kind of ability too. that the world should be able to look at us and say as clearly as someone who has on a mask or doesn't have on a mask, you should be able to look at them uh, and say, I know what that person believes. I know from looking at that person and how they talk and how they act and the things they're doing and the things they're not doing it is clear to me what that person does or doesn't believe. Um, you know, so as we think about what that looks like, I want to talk a little bit today about understanding um, some things that Christians need to believe. You either believe it or you don't. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, the first five verses of the Bible, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, that he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, I want to give you my opinion. Um, much uh, ink has been spent, many papers dedicated to trying to understand uh, what is going on in Genesis chapter 1. How did this happen? Is this a literal 24-hour period? Is this God speaking uh, into existence, the creation? Uh, as Darwinism and evolution have become very widely believed in the world that we live in today, uh, is that in conflict with uh, what Genesis 1 says? Does it support what Genesis 1 says? And I don't uh, intend to resolve that in this sermon, but what I want to do is say that, that I tend to believe, this is my opinion, I tend to believe that there will be people in heaven who believe uh, that God created the world in seven literal days. And I tend to believe that there are people who will be in heaven who believe in evolution and science and, and the world that we live in. Uh, I don't think that belief in one of those, which may be right, or one of those that may be wrong, will end up disqualifying anyone from being in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. On the other hand, if you read this and you think, I don't know if I believe God created the universe at all, you're, you're in trouble. That is something that as a Christian, you either, as a person, you either believe it or you don't. 
You either have faith that God is the source and, and the creator and the one who brings all of, of matter and life and everything into existence, or you don't. There's not a middle ground on that one. There's all kinds of room to have really fascinating and meaningful conversations about, uh, about how uh, Genesis 1 and 2 work and what we're supposed to get out of them and, and what we're supposed to understand. Uh, I think the most important thing we're supposed to understand is not how we should create a universe. God already did that. But we're supposed to understand that the God who did is almighty enough to do it by his mouth and he's intimate and close enough to do it with his hands in the dirt. That that's the kind of God we have. We've got to get those truths out of it. But when it comes to whether or not God created, you either believe it or you don't. You're either a mask on kind of person or a mask off kind of person. You don't have to wonder. And I think there's so many people today that we live in a world where, where for almost all of human history, the idea that you would say out loud, uh, the world was created by God or gods, depending on where you were and who your gods were that you got from your parents, uh, that you would consider that the default setting. And it's only in the past couple hundred years that that's become reversed. And that's why we talk about the world we live in today being post-Christian. And, and it's one thing for the world to make it contestable, whether or not God created the universe or not, but we cannot live in a world where it's contestable for Christians. And I'm not saying there's no room for doubt and there's no room for wrestling with these things. I, I'm a person that has come to faith by pushing through skepticism and that increases my faith and, and that doubt is often for me a building block for building stronger faith. It's not for everyone, but for some people it is. And, and I don't mean to say that that's not true, but, but fundamentally, as a Christian, you either believe God created or you don't. It's one of those things that is a pillar of our faith. And there's others like that. In Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11, uh, many people believe that this is the, the real core of Paul's gospel, his understanding about what matters the most to following Jesus. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 6 begins talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And here we arrive again at one of those, those statements in Scripture that, that as people of faith, either you believe that Jesus was the Son of God born into this world, or you don't. You, when it comes to the birth of Jesus, born to Mary in, uh, in you know, the ancient Near East, in the part of the world where he lived and where he taught and where he performed miracles, and where he died on the cross, either you believe that he was born and lived, that God became flesh, or you don't. You either believe or you don't. You're either a mask on or a mask off person when it comes to believing that Jesus, the Son of God, lived on this world. And either you believe that he died and was resurrected on the third day, or you don't. This isn't a middle ground situation. You can't be someone who says, the Gnostics were an early heresy in the church, and what they believed was that Jesus never had flesh, that he was just a spirit man that floated around, and that, that he willingly uh, kind of floated near the cross while they hung him on it, because you can't have flesh on God. They believed that all that was physical is bad, and all that was spiritual is good, and so Jesus must have been all spirit and no physical. Well, that's clearly not true. You can't believe that about Jesus and be part of the, the body of believers, the church, the family of Jesus Christ. You have to believe that God became flesh, that he lived in this world, that he died on the cross, and on the third day he rose again. You either do or you don't. It's one of those fundamental, we believe this kind of things. And in Matthew 7, this is the text that Jeff um, read for us earlier. 
This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's towards the end. And Jesus is teaching to those about what his kingdom is going to be like because they're expecting a different kind of king and kingdom than Jesus was offering to them. And, and as he stands there on this mountain and as the crowds are gathered and they're hearing what kind of king he's going to be and what kind of kingdom he's ushering in, one of the things he says towards the end is this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This teaching that we know mostly through the song that we get from it gets to the heart of some about who God is and the relationship that he desires with his people, with us. God wants to be our father and he wants to do good things for us. God wants to give us good gifts. God wants to bless us. God will not allow us to just suffer endlessly any more than a good father or a good mother would allow their children to suffer endlessly. Uh, and and with, if they have the ability to intervene and to interrupt and to change course in their lives, a good parent's going to do that. God's point here, uh, Jesus's point here spoken, uh, is that Similar to other arguments, Jesus uses at one point uh, the story of the widow who begs a judge over and over and over again, uh, a judge who is not fair and not just, will you please give me justice? And finally, because the woman annoys him enough, he relents and he gives into her request. And Jesus is, is saying, not that God is like an unjust judge, but what he is saying is, that if a bad judge can bring justice to someone in need, how much more so can God, who is the greatest and most fair judge, bring justice to those who need it? In this teaching, he's talking about, don't you know that a good parent, even, even a good parent uh, knows that when their kid asks them for something, they want to do that thing. That, that when a child comes to a parent and says, please, I need this. I want this. I'm suffering. Can you remove my suffering? That a good parent is going to step up and do that. Jesus says, isn't God better than a good parent? Isn't God better than, than a parent who desires this for their children in the world? How much more so will our God, who is willing to go so far for his children, do good things and give good gifts to his children who ask him? It's for this reason that we, we pray. And so when it comes to prayer, when it comes to God taking care of his kids, either you believe that God is in charge, that God is good, and that God answers prayers, or you don't. Or you don't. I was on the phone uh, with one of our members yesterday and, and talking about some, some sickness in, in their family. And they said, please keep praying. Please keep praying because I know you prayed for us in your church last Sunday. And after last Sunday, things got better. And I think there's a connection. I believe that prayer matters. And I believe that prayer changes things. And I do too. And, and I think that that's really important in this season where it feels like things are either getting better or they're getting worse. We don't know, but we're, we're begging for someone to be in control and we wish that someone had all the answers and we get lots of anxiety, or at least I get lots of anxiety when I feel like I don't have the answers and I'm not in charge and I just wish I knew who did and who was. And anytime I'm asking those questions, I've forgotten. I've forgotten that if I'm one of God's people and he's in charge and he's good, and he created, and he became flesh in the form of his son, Jesus, who died on the cross and gave, got up on the third day, resurrected. If I believe those things, then I know who has a plan, and I know who's in charge. 
and I don't have to have so much anxiety about it. And so when we see that, uh, that happening in the Sermon on the Mount, it's no wonder that just a few paragraphs before this where Jesus teaches that if you ask and seek and knock, that God is going to answer and respond and reply, that Jesus says, and don't worry so much. Don't worry so much. Your worry is not extending your life. Your worry is not improving your life. God knows the things that matter to you, and he is listening, and he will give them to you. He takes care of flowers and birds, and he loves you more than flowers and birds. Relax, trust, believe, or don't. But it doesn't make sense for us to say we believe and then live like we don't believe. It doesn't make sense to say that, that we have total confidence in God to be in control and be in charge and have a plan and yet be racked with fear that he may not know what's best for us. You know, I, this wasn't in my notes, but I keep thinking about it. A couple of weeks ago, I watched uh, the movie Armageddon, which is uh, not one of the greatest movies of all time by any means, uh, but I really like watching the movie Armageddon. And one of the things that I was really struck by is in a moment where uh, the president is speaking to all of the people in this movie, uh, he says that in the, the history of, of Earth, this is the first time that a species has had the technology and the equipment and the ability to try and stave off and prevent their own extinction. And when I, when I heard that, I was really struck by thinking, that's right. We're in a similar place to that, that for the first time in the history of planet Earth, we have the ability, uh, not that we're headed towards extinction, coronavirus is not a global killer like the meteor in, in Armageddon was, this is obviously an incomplete example, um, but we do have the technology. And as I was working on this lesson this week, it, it occurs to me that if I have more confidence in our ability with medicine and science and technology to for us to be saved from this or any other crisis that comes our way, then I've lost track of who's in charge. And I've lost track of who's created. And I've lost track of how much God loves me and desires good things and good gifts for me. And so when we say, I, when people say, I think that things will get better again, uh, and you say, why do you think that? And you say, well, because I think we'll eventually come up with a vaccine, or I think we'll come up with a cure, I think it's the people of God who either believe in God or don't, that we need to root our, our confidence that the world will always be moving more and more towards what God wants it to be, in spite of what it appears to be in this moment, in spite of what you may hear on the news or read about in the news, that, that even on the news, there are moments of people bringing hope and people bringing joy and people bringing uh, how others are supporting one another. And there's good news everywhere you look and there's love and support everywhere you turn to that we need to remember that God created, that God became flesh in his son, that that son died on the cross and was resurrected on the third day inviting us to share in that eternal life forever, that God is good, that he has the ability to intervene and make our world better. We trust that God desires good things for us like a good parent desires good things for their children, and that faith, whether we believe it or not, should begin to shape our actions. We should begin to act as if we are people who don't fear and don't feel out of control and aren't riddled by anxiety because we are people who have confidence in a God who is worthy of being trusted, worthy of being believed, worthy of being loved. Um, the reminder today is that when you think about what are things going to be like in a month, in a year, in a decade, that you should be confident that God is going to keep bringing goodness to his people and his creation. He often does it through his people as a reward to the creation, as a blessing to the creation. He did it through Jesus. Now he does it so often through the church. And so as Chris began uh, earlier talking about the need for us to support each other, and as Peter prayed about the uh, opportunities to, to show kindness to a neighbor or to uh, reach out an email or send a, make a phone call or connect with people, those are ways for us to continue bringing the blessings and goodness of God into the world uh, through allowing his spirit to work in us and through us that we might be 
his people, the body of Jesus, in a world that desperately needs Jesus to show up and bring hope, as he has been bringing for 2,000 years and as he will continue to do for all of eternity. Either you believe that or you don't. At this time, we're going to have um, a closing song, and then Dennis is going to share some prayer requests and a shepherd's prayer with us. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer. I want you to know that we are still close. 
Let's stop and pray. Father, we continue to pray for those in our midst who are struggling through health issues not related to COVID, but are impacted by COVID. Like Dale, now in rehab, we're grateful for that, and who seems to be improving. And we offer a special prayer for him. A leader in our congregation, he mentored to me, a man of great stature in your eyes. I pray that you will lift him up. Father, we pray for Leslie Stevens, whose C-section is planned for tomorrow. That that will be an eventful thing in Stephen's life and uneventful from a medical standpoint. We pray for Jeff Sproul's mother, Kathy Muncy, two weeks into chemo with yet four more months to go. We pray that the surgery which will follow the chemo will rid her body of the cancer. For Nicole Lucas, that her cancer will be gone totally. I pray this morning for Daniel Lopez and for Walter Starks, two of our midst incarcerated, who our thoughts are on constantly and who we love. I pray for our young people many summer youth group activities currently in question. We pray for our missionaries the whole wide world over, for the church that meets today in that world. The church that meets in China and in Russia, as well as Africa and Europe at Oklahoma City. I pray that Northwest will use the unusual hardship of COVID to build our faith, to stretch our minds from the silos of tradition, and to deepen our appreciation and love for each other as we seek to walk in the light. Finally, I pray, Father, that our humble hearts, the lives that we are living now, will speak to those in our family as we worship, as Brian said, in front of each other. In this special time, we worship in front of our spouses, in front of our children and grandchildren, front of our co-workers and our classmates, and yes, in front of strangers who even without sometimes knowing it, look at us for the light that Christ has shown us to be within us. And Father, for that spirit that dwells within us, we pray you will enlarge the fruit of the Spirit in our hearts, in our minds and bodies, that we will become faithful servants, indeed, and in thought, and in being, in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>
that I've heard from the eldership so far is that we continue meeting in ways that will include the most numbers of sheep in our weekly kind of flock gatherings. Uh, that's probably going to mean that for a little bit longer, uh, we'll continue to meet online um, so that we can uh, include 80%, 80 to 90% of our members, whereas going back uh, into the building with the limitations and restrictions that are on there uh, would probably only allow us to get to 40 to 60%. So uh, be looking for news and updates about that. I just kind of want to give you a heads up. There's a chance that they'll go in different directions and, and, and different plans will be made, but I really think that we're going to continue to move uh, cautiously forward, faithfully forward, uh, as we look for ways to do this, and, and even once we start moving, uh, meeting together again uh, at the building in the future, uh, we'll continue to bring uh, streaming options uh, online uh, simultaneous with that so that we can continue to make, um, make worship and connectivity and relationship and family available uh, to those who are not able to meet for different reasons. So uh, continuing, as we've talked about many times today, uh, to find new and ever uh, interesting ways for us to be the family, even while we are in different places. And so doing that um, kind of coming forward. So uh, if you have any questions on that, reach out to the elders. Also, uh, most of you got an email from the elders uh, yesterday inviting you to kind of think uh, innovatively. What are the blessings that you've received during this time? And how can we carry those lessons forward as we continue to become uh, the people of Jesus in, in this and every place. Uh, with that being said, I now am going to uh, 